Welcome to this EHIV Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Our guest today is Dr. Rachel Scott. She's the Scientific Director of Women's Health Research at the MedStar Health Research Institute and Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the Georgetown University School of Medicine. And we're here to talk about increasing the use in women of pre-exposure prophylaxis. That's PrEP. EHIV Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated and Vive Healthcare. Learning objectives for this audio program include discuss the importance of HIV prevention and PrEP in women and describe the barriers, patient, systemic, and provider level to increasing PrEP utilization in women. Dr. Scott has disclosed that she received an investigator-sponsored research award from Gilead Sciences Incorporated to study PrEP uptake in women. She's also indicated that her discussion today will not be referencing the unlabeled or unapproved use of any drugs or products. Dr. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. In your recent newsletter issue, you analyzed some of the current research showing that despite the proving efficacy of HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, Only a small percentage of women in the U.S. at high risk have initiated PrEP. Today, I'd like us to focus on how this problem of PrEP underutilization in women can be addressed in the clinic. So start us out, if you would, please, Dr. Scott, with a patient scenario. So a 24-year-old female presents to urgent care for abdominal pain and purulent vaginal discharge. She's treated empirically for pelvic inflammatory disease. Her STI testing results eventually reveal a positive chlamydia PCR. Her past medical history is significant for a history of trichomonas and previous chlamydia episodes. She's currently sexually active with one partner and has had two partners in the past year. She's using oral contraception for pregnancy prevention and does not consistently use condoms. She lives in a community with a high HIV prevalence. What are your initial impressions of this patient, doctor? First, that she's at high risk for HIV acquisition based on her risk factors, namely her current pelvic inflammatory disease, her history of sexually transmitted infections, and that she's sexually active without condoms in a high-prevalence HIV area. Risk factors for HIV acquisition in women include unprotected sex, injection drug use, sexually transmitted infections, having multiple sexual partners or sexual partners with risk factors for HIV, transactional sex, which means trading sex for drugs or money, and lastly, sex in a high-prevalence area. She's also a candidate for PrEP, although she may not be aware of PrEP or fully understand her risk for acquiring HIV. The current guidelines, what do they advise about risk factors, HIV prevention, and the use of PrEP in women? Both the CDC and the WHO offer guidelines for PrEP in cisgender women. The CDC guidelines include anal or vaginal sex in the past six months with an HIV-positive sexual partner or a recent bacterial STI. It also includes history of inconsistent or no condom use with sexual partners or injection drug use to sharing of needles or equipment. The WHO guidelines are similar to the CDC with the addition of having used post-exposure prophylaxis and or a request for PrEP as both are associated both with risk factors for HIV and with high risk for HIV acquisition. These guidelines highlight the importance of taking a full sexual history and eliciting risk factors for HIV acquisition. The trauma literature demonstrates, however, that patients may not fully disclose their full risk factors, especially in a first encounter with a new provider. An alternative approach is offering PrEP education first and then screening, or even just offering PrEP in a manner agnostic to risk, and that this may be more successful in reaching more patients at high risk for HIV. What about options for PrEP? 
What treatments are currently available to women? The only PrEP option currently available and licensed for cisgender women is a combination pill of tenofovir desoproxyl fumarate and emtricitabine, or TDF-FTC. It's a once-a-day oral tablet that, when taken daily, is greater than 90% effective. Tenofovir alafenamide and emtricitabine, or FTAF, is approved for PrEP indication in cisgender men and in transgender women. It's not yet approved in cisgender women because of a lack of data. Specifically, cisgender women weren't included in the initial clinical efficacy trial. And although data shows safety and efficacy in men and in transgender women, this data can't be extrapolated to women. This is because rectal tissue drug levels in men are significantly higher than vaginal levels, and there may be different acquisition mechanisms between transgender and cisgender women. We're hopeful that down the road, there will be more available options for women. Two of these include the depivirine ring, which is a topical vaginally administered method, and a long-acting cabotegravir, which is an intramuscular injection once every four to eight weeks. This may be available in a slow-release subcutaneous implant form, similar to implantable long-acting progestin contraception. A patient like the one you presented, Dr. Scott. Now let's say you want to start her on PrEP. Walk us through how you do that, please. Sure. So quick start or same-day PrEP initiation is a safe, feasible, effective option to best reach women at risk for HIV. In a nutshell, the provider orders HIV testing, hepatitis B testing, sexually transmitted infection testing, and a creatinine level, and the patient goes home with a prescription for PrEP and is told to initiate PrEP that very same day. She's then called with the results of the testing that she's undergone that day within a week. This PrEP initiation visit should also include adherence coaching, such as picking a good time of the day to take PrEP, a consistent time to take it so that you form a habit, setting cell phone alarms to remind you, discussing the temporality of side effects, etc. Most side effects occur when first starting this drug and dissipate soon after, so providing this information early is key to continuation and adherence. And what about follow-up after PrEP initiation? In our practice, we offer a follow-up phone call about a week after initiation to troubleshoot any issues with side effects or adherence and to review these baseline labs. We then offer a follow-up visit in one month for repeat HIV testing and then repeat labs every three months or sooner as clinically indicated. Thank you for that case and discussion, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Rachel Scott from the Georgetown University School of Medicine in just a moment. You've been listening to a Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine eHIV Review podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. eHIV Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with HIV and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, focuses that expert perspective on translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for eHIV Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about eHIV Review, please go to our website, ehivreview.org. And one more thing. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found the information useful, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can find it as well. Thank you. Welcome back to this EHIV Review Podcast. 
We've been speaking with Dr. Rachel Scott from the MedStar Health Research Institute and Georgetown University School of Medicine about the why and how of increasing PrEP usage in women. So let's continue our clinical perspective, if you would please, doctor, with another patient scenario. A 36-year-old woman comes into the Department of Health STI clinic for STI testing and HIV testing. She's self-employed and underinsured. Her insurance only covers emergencies with a very high deductible. She's regularly sexually active with a friend who she's known for years. They do not consistently use condoms. She's also actively dating and reports one to two sexual partners per month. She's heard of PrEP, but she thought it was only for men. So she's heard about PrEP, but she doesn't understand that it's not just for men. That's certainly a barrier to PrEP uptake. What other kinds of barriers have you encountered in your female patients? Barriers to PrEP can be broken down into issues of awareness, access, uptake, adherence, and persistence. There are patient and provider-level barriers and systemic barriers. Key patient barriers include a lack of awareness or knowledge about PrEP, lack of perceived risk of HIV, stigma surrounding HIV, and fear of shaming for taking what might be perceived as an HIV drug, and then issues of accessibility and availability, identifying a provider, transportation, adequate time with the provider, the cost of the drug and lab tests, finding a pharmacy to actually fill the prescription, transportation and time for returning for follow-up visits. It's really complicated for a lot of patients. There's also a high cost of PrEP. For patients without insurance, PrEP can be between thirteen dollars to $20,000 a year. And there are PrEP patient assistant programs, but these are underutilized and sometimes time-limited. There's also issues with power discordance with sexual partners in that PrEP may signify a lack of trust. Lastly, adherence is really a struggle for women. For healthy people who feel well, taking a pill at the same time every day for something as abstract as HIV prevention is really challenging. And this is compounded by the lack of HIV prevention options. For women, it's currently really just TDF-FTC. And what's more, there's the need for near-perfect adherence with oral PrEP, which is not compatible with multiple competing priorities such as childcare and work and life. And those are just the patient-level barriers. What about system-level barriers? What would those be? First and foremost, that women have largely been excluded from PrEP research, which has led to a lack of data on HIV prevention in women and in turn results in a lack of options. There's also a lack of funding for sex-positive PrEP marketing and education for women and a lack of funding for HIV testing sites and clinics and providers and pharmacies that provide accessible and patient-friendly PrEP services. And provider-level barriers. The main provider-level barriers are lack of training on taking an adequate sexual history and lack of comfort in asking uncomfortable questions about sexual risk, even in providers who have received training. There are low levels of provider knowledge about safety and efficacy of PrEP. There's the perception among some providers of risk compensation, specifically that patients who are on PrEP may stop or decrease their practices of safe sex because of a false sense of security. There's also issues of lack of time in the very short doctor visit and competing priorities with other medical problems like hypertension or diabetes. And lastly, implicit biases about sexual lifestyles. So breaking down these barriers, what can clinicians do to help prevent HIV acquisition in women? Where to start? We need policy change that expands Medicaid, expands needle exchange, and increases HIV testing sites. We need increased access for women for PrEP by increasing clinics and providers that are able to prescribe PrEP and pharmacies that stock TDF-FTC. We need to decrease the costs of PrEP or offer PrEP at no cost 
and find physically and geographically more central places to offer prep and meet people where they are in the community, perhaps offering mobile services. We need more educational efforts that normalize prevention through decreasing stigma and sex-positive messaging. And lastly, we need more education and improved resources for medical providers. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott, for bringing these patients to us today. I've got one more question for you, and it's future-oriented. So let me ask you, in general, what do you see happening in the future of PrEP for Women? That's a great question. In the next couple years, I anticipate that there will be more options, and options that require less than daily adherence, such as the ring, injectable options, implants, etc. I also anticipate that we'll be able to offer women multiple prevention technologies specifically products that co-formulate or jointly release into the body, both in HIV prep and contraception. These are highly desired by women globally, and the ring and the implant are obvious options for such strategies. My hope is that more education will lead to less stigma, which will lead to more uptake and the eventual end of the HIV epidemic. I want to thank you for sharing your insights and expertise in today's cases, Dr. Scott. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing how our learning objectives have been addressed in today's discussion. So our first learning objective, the importance of HIV prevention and the use of PrEP in women. What are the key things our listeners need to know? That PrEP is a safe and effective, autonomously controlled method of HIV prevention for women. That PrEP is indicated for women who are at risk for HIV through sex or through IV drug use. It's important for providers to take a sexual social history to elicit risk factors for HIV, but alternatively, providers can offer education on PrEP and or offer PrEP to patients regardless of disclosed risk factors. Lastly, that there are huge disparities in the United States between the numbers of women who have behavioral indications for PrEP, meaning that they're at high risk for HIV, and the much smaller proportion of women who actually use PrEP for HIV prevention. And our second learning objective the patient, systemic, and provider-level barriers to increasing PrEP use in women. There are multiple systemic, patient-level, and provider-level barriers to successful PrEP uptake in women. There is considerable work that needs to be done on each of these levels, ranging from decreasing the stigma surrounding HIV and HIV prevention to lowering drug costs and improving access. As providers, we can do our part to overcome the provider-level barriers by keeping up to date on HIV prevention best practices, making time in our routine visits to discuss PrEP, and being aware of and combating our own implicit biases. Providers can become more comfortable talking about sexual and social histories by making them part of their routine preventative care measures. Dr. Rachel Scott from the Georgetown University School of Medicine and the MedStar Health Research Institute Thank you for participating in this EHIV Review Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehivreview.org. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the EHIV Review Newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME CE credit, available online to clinicians treating patients with HIV. This activity has been developed for primary care physicians, NPs, PAs, nurses, HIV specialists, OBGYNs, infectious disease physicians, and others involved in the care of patients with HIV. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, through the joint providership of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing.
The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should only claim the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuing nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register, please go to our website, ehivreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Science Incorporated and Vive Healthcare. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine.